thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And today, you're going to get a debriefing on the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. In case you were in a hole last week somewhere or in a coma, that's the decision by which five justices of the United States Supreme Court ruled that Roe versus Wade should be reversed. And you're going to get a briefing today that will tell you some things you've probably not heard, I suspect, from anybody else. And let me tell you what I'm going to tell you and then tell you why I'm telling you. Okay, I hope that makes sense. But the better argument was made by Justice Breyer in the dissenting opinion than that made by Justice Alito in the majority decision. Now, I'm not saying that I liked the result that Justice Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor reached that Roe should be upheld, but they actually made the better argument based on the belief system that was being articulated by the United States Supreme Court. Now, here's what you have to appreciate. We can rejoice all day long over the result, but we have to understand the conversation that is taking place between the justices on the Supreme Court in order to understand how we as Christians should engage in that conversation, assuming we're gonna engage at all. Otherwise, we will not engage effectively. I wrote something down a couple of weeks ago, and maybe it's appropriate to say it. I haven't said it publicly, but I said if there's anything worse than coming into the middle of a very serious and intense conversation and saying something that's so irrelevant that you look stupid is to not know that you looked stupid. Most folks don't really look at the opinion. They look at the result and they move on. But I want to caution us against that. In fact, one of the persons bantied about in the Supreme Court decision on the Second Amendment and, of course, in the Dobbs decision was William Blackstone and his commentaries on the laws of England. And we've mentioned William Blackstone a number of times in our podcast because he's the great prominent expositor of the common law around the time our country was being formed and copies of his commentaries were actually more prevalent in the colonies than they were even in England. It was said that he ruled from the Supreme Court bench because his works were so popular by Chief Justice Marshall in the early formation of our country in the Supreme Court's precedence. So Blackstone said this about law. It is well if the mass of mankind will obey the laws when made without scrutinizing too nicely into the reasons for making them. In other words, uh, abortions overturned, move on, that's the decision, move on, nothing to see here. And he's saying, no, 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 you have to really understand the reasons for making them. He said, so when law is to be considered not only as a matter of practice, but as a rational science, and by that he's not meaning science like we think of microscopes but science in the sense that science, the root of it is knowledge. So he's talking about a rational study of things to know that we can know. So he's saying when, when it's to be considered as a rational science, the knowledge of something, he said it cannot be improper or useless 
to examine more deeply the rudiments and grounds of these positive constitutions of society. Now, he's not referring to constitutions as we think of constitutions. He's referring to law itself as the constitution of society, the foundation of society. So in other words, if you don't understand the rudiments and grounds of the law upon which society is based, you will build a society that will not be able to stand on the foundation laid. Now we get this principle when it comes to building a house. We would not lay the foundation for a house in a subdivision and then build an 80-story office building on top of it. We'd say that kind of foundation will not support that, and that's exactly what he's saying. If we don't understand the foundations of the law, we'll build a society based on those laws that will crumble, it'll fall apart, it will not endure, it will not last, and that is futility, okay? Now, let me tell you just today uh, a little bit, and next week we're going to come back and look at this more deeply. But one of the things that I think is important here is that in the majority opinion, there was a long discussion of the common law and the history of the common law with respect to abortion and the procedure involving abortion. Now, what the majority said was, well, if you look at the common law and the treatment of the abortion procedure in the common law, well, for centuries, it was a crime, and it was a crime leading up to the adoption of the 14th Amendment. It was a crime after the adoption of the 14th Amendment. It was a crime in almost all states, at least at some point, at the time of Roe v. Wade in 1972. So the court said, abortion is not deeply rooted in our understanding of ordered liberty and our understanding of history and tradition. And, and of course, they would be correct. And, and what they said is, well, the word abortion isn't in the Constitution. Well, okay, so what does that mean that it's not in there? Does that mean still that you couldn't have a right uh, to abortion just because the word is missing? But the question was, well, what is the word liberty, you see? Because the right to abortion was understood in Roe and Casey and following as, as being an understanding of liberty. So the majority says we're going to examine the text and the history to see if abortion should be considered liberty. Well, they concluded it wasn't, and we're grateful for that. But if they were really going to look at the text of the 14th Amendment, just in case you don't know, it says that no state shall have a law that shall deny any person the right to life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Now, what that means is simply you can't take away somebody's life, liberty, or property unless they have violated a law. They've done some something that, that the law says this is wrong for which there would be some kind of sanction affecting your life or your liberty or your property. But that has to be proved by a due process. That in other words, you can't just say so-and-so saw you blow up your neighbor's mailbox with a cherry bomb, that's the destruction of property, and now you have to go to jail for 30 days. You had to have a trial. You had to have the right to confront your accusers. You had to have the right to have an attorney. And many of those things are spelled out, of course, in the Bill of Rights. And then, if it's proved through this due and fair process, that you, in fact, broke the law, you can lose your liberty. But here's what's ironic. 
if the court was making an examination into the text of the 14th Amendment and into the common law meaning of the words in the text of the 14th Amendment, then their opinion could have been quite short. Let me tell you what Blackstone says about what liberty is. And you'll notice that this is never referred to in the majority's opinion. They talk about Blackstone and how he treated abortion, but not how Blackstone understood the word liberty. And that is, after all, the word that you're supposedly construing, right? Here's what he said. The laws of England regard a certain preserve the personal liberty of individuals. Okay, let's get ready. Here's what he's going to say it is. This personal liberty consists in the power of locomotion, moving around, of changing your situation, or removing one's person to whatsoever place one's own inclination may direct without imprisonment or restraint unless by due course of law. So it was the ability to move around, to move from one state to the next state, to live in a house here, to move in a house there, to go to this restaurant, to go to that restaurant, to go to that neighbor's house, to go to another neighbor's house. It was the ability to move around. It had nothing to do whatsoever with abortion. So why are we even talking about abortion? In other words, the opinion could have said, we want to look at the text of the Constitution. That's what we're going to interpret, the text of the 14th Amendment specifically. We need to look at the common law and what the history of the common law is with regard to this liberty. Ah, it's the ability to move around. Abortion has nothing with the ability to move around. Case closed, opinion signed, after one page. So why did the court go on page after page after page after page talking about abortion and how abortion was treated as the common law and the history of the common law? It's because they were not interpreting the text of the 14th Amendment. What they were doing was figuring out how to apply this made-up doctrine they've created called substantive due process that takes the concept of process and procedure and proving the violation of a law into something substantive. And, and so, well, well, what's the substance, David? Well, you know, we don't know since that's actually not in the Constitution and the common law didn't define substantive due process. It's made up. So the court has to then come up with an interpretive framework for substantive due process that is itself not in the Constitution called ordered liberty and our long-standing histories and traditions. Well, where's that standard written in the Constitution or the Due Process Clause? It's not in there, my friends. So the majority, under the guise of interpreting the text of the 14th Amendment, ignored the text of the 14th Amendment, substituted a word substantive in front of due process of law, then substituted a non-textual interpretive standard of rooted in our concepts of ordered liberty and traditions, and then said abortion isn't one of them. I mean, the majority's opinion was an originalist joke in that sense. They weren't trying to interpret the text of the Constitution. They were trying to put reins on this doctrine the court has made up over the last 50 years to keep it from just going anywhere and everywhere. That's what they were doing. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. In other words, they made up something, and rather than get rid of what they made up, which is what Clarence Thomas keeps saying, they said, we need to put some reins around this thing we've made up because it's just gone too far. This abortion thing's just gotten all out of whack. We're, 
We're letting babies die on the delivery table, you might say. We, we got to stop this. But rather than get rid of the evil, they tried to curtail the re evil by talking about abortion and the history of abortion. Now, this is where Justice Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor nailed Alito's history and tradition and text rear end to the wall. Sorry if I'm sounding a little angry here, but I'm just frustrated that the United States Supreme Court and a majority of the justices are trying to fool us into thinking they're doing their job and upholding the Constitution when they've made up something in the Constitution, then they've made up an interpretive principle for the thing they made up, and then they go around rehearsing this history as if that's somewhere related to the text of the Constitution. And as I just told you, the text of the Constitution is the word liberty, and we know what liberty was understood to be at common law by the very proponents that they cited to talk about abortion. So Breyer then comes along, and I just love this. And, and next week we're going to talk about a worldview aspect of this. It's very important, so I hope you will join me next week because it's, it's the worldview handling of history that's taking place here is really, really critical. You need to understand it, so I hope you'll join me next week for that. So here is what Justice Breyer said, and let me just read some of this and kind of annotate it as we go along. Quote, to hear the majority tell the tale, Roe and Casey are aberrations. In other words, just all of a sudden in 1972, we found a right to abortion is, is part of liberty. And the word liberty under our concept of substantive due process. He continues on. They came from nowhere, they went nowhere, so they're easy to excise from the nation's constitutional law. But that's not true. And he is exactly right. They didn't come from nowhere. They came from this substantive due process concept that they conjured up and began to apply back in 1972. So, let me continue on. Breyer says, the majority does not wish to talk about these matters for obvious reasons. To do so would both ground Roe and Casey in this court's precedence and reveal the broad implications of today's decision but the facts will not so handily disappear. Roe and Casey were from the beginning and are even now more embedded in core constitutional concepts, now listen to this, of individual freedom, now notice that's the word freedom, not the word liberty, and of equal rights of citizens to decide on the shape of their lives. Those legal concepts, so he's saying here, here are these concepts that go back now in our jurisprudence under this doctrine of substantive due process and you majority want to hang on to that doctrine unlike Clarence Thomas who's at least intellectually honest enough to say we need to get rid of this made-up doctrine. The majority wants to keep the doctrine but they don't want to acknowledge and admit what they've been doing under the doctrine and get us to look over here at abortion and not recognize that by their sleight of hand they've got us focusing on the common law history of abortion without looking at the history of the court's treatment of the word liberty. Kind of look over here while, you know, so-and-so's getting in the box that's going to disappear. It's magic. So anyway, he goes on. Breyer says, these legal concepts, one might even say, have gone far toward defining what it means to be an American. For in this nation, we do not believe that a government controlling all private choices is compatible with a free people. Now, 
what is this that he's referring to? Well, this is what's fascinating to me. Breyer says this, the right Rowan Casey recognized does not stand alone. To the contrary, the court has linked it for decades to other settled freedoms involving bodily integrity, familial relationships, and procreation. So in other words, what he's saying here is that for decades we've been taking this word liberty and we've been expanding our understanding of this word liberty. We've almost morphed it into this idea of freedom, particularly when it has to do with anything regarding human sexuality. And since you're not talking about the word liberty in its historical context of locomotion, why are you so upset that we're talking about this expanded view of liberty? If you're not going to talk about the historical meaning of the word liberty and start talking about abortion, then why do we have to talk about the old view of liberty and can't talk about the new view of liberty? And this is thought he then says, and you'll know Jeff Schaefer has said this and I've said this, and then listen to it, my friends. It's going to all hang together, what we've been doing over the last several weeks, months, as he goes on and cites then these cases. Okay, let me, let me just back up here again. So he's saying, to the contrary, the court has linked Roe and Casey. The, Roe and Casey didn't just come out of nowhere. They're part of a litany of cases that have been taking place for decades. Look what he cites. Griswold versus Connecticut, 1965. Remember we've talked about that? The right of contraceptives between married couples. In other words, there is a constitutional right to have sterile sex even in marriage. Eisenstadt versus Baird, 1972, which was the right of an unmarried woman to have non-marital sterile sex, which in that case, in a footnote, reinterpreted Griswold so that it really had nothing to do with a marital unity, but just two people who happened to be sharing expenses. That's what they reduced marriage to, and that produced Roe versus Wade. And then he goes on and cites in turn, those rights led more recently to rights to same-sex intimacy and marriage. See Lawrence versus Texas. That's the case that said state sodomy laws were irrational, that you had the right to have sodomous sex, which is of course sterile, which led to Obergefell versus Hodges, which now made marriage sterile and unfruitful. They are all part of the same constitutional fabric protecting autonomous decision-making over the most personal of life decisions. So see, he's talking about the fact that you've been going along with us on this idea of substantive due process and making things up, and we've been making them up, and all of a sudden you don't want to make them up anymore. And now all of a sudden you're going to go back to look at what was existing in 1789 when the Constitution was adopted or the or the 14th Amendment was adopted in the 1870s? Well, what's wrong with you guys? You've been playing along with this game, and in fact, you're still playing along with the game because you won't get rid of substantive due process. You want to keep substantive due process when you like the history, and you don't want to keep it when you don't like the history. I mean, the majority is playing games with us, and I like the way the game ended, but my friends, if we don't understand that, that the majority was playing around by creating a made-up concept and then giving us a made-up non-textual standard for interpreting what it made up, we won't understand that we're still being duped by a majority of the Supreme Court. At least Breyer was honest enough 
to say we've been making up stuff for years, so we have history on our side. And I think he's right. Now next week, I hope you will join me because we're really gonna get into this history question and really the question of can history even provide any values or meanings at all? Are we in a postmodern culture where neither side of the debate taking place in the Supreme Court can be right. So I hope you'll join me for next week on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.